my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Financial Heresy, where we talk about how money works so that you can make more, keep more, and give more. Recently, there has been a lot going on in the crypto world with the collapse of giant Ponzi schemes, with uh, fraud being exposed to the world, with uh, FTX, both US and uh, BlockFi, and a lot of other companies that were involved and it seems as if we are experiencing some sort of a domino effect. Everything is collapsing. Many people are asking the question, what does this mean for the future of Bitcoin? So I have my friend Alex Svetsky on with us today, special guest. We are going to be discussing things like the philosophy and the history that led up to the creation of Bitcoin as kind of a concept, as a new emergent form of money, given everything that has gone on with government money over the past decades and what the collapse of all of the fraud means for the future of Bitcoin. Alex Fetsky, he is an entrepreneur. He is uh, he runs the Bitcoin Times a fantastic publication. I highly recommend you go check that out. He's also the co-author of Uncommunist Manifesto with Mark Moss. Highly recommend you check out that book as well. And without further ado, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us today. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for joining us today. Really excited here. Everything that's been going on with uh, crypto, Bitcoin, the fraud, the scams. Uh, I'm excited to hear your take. I know you've been uh, in this space for a while. We've talked before, uh, basically predicted. uh, You've been predicting a lot of this for a long time. So thank you so much for joining. It'll be a good conversation. Thank you, Joe. Good to be back, man. Well, give us a rundown here um, about uh, about kind of how how we got to this place um, with, you know, uh, Bitcoin coming on the scene and then competitors launching from, you know, from uh, every single area of the universe as money became easier and easier. Um, Can you give us a little bit of a background on how this giant landscape of fraud uh, came about? Yeah, man. So if we. If we go back and think about sort of first principles, um, 
Bitcoin emerged, you know, and, and it's a tricky one. Some people would call it a discovery. Some people would call it an invention. Um, I think it's a very interesting blend of both. I think, um, you know, the discovery of, you know, what Michael Saylor would call kind of uh, money that uh, kind of conforms to the laws of the conservation of energy, right? Um, you know, I mm-hmm. I think Breedlove's called it uh, energy money. Like this sort of this, this completely sound, uh, you know, closed loop money uh, as a concept, you know, and let's just call it energy money for the moment. I think that's something that uh, species – social species, if there's other aliens out there, for example, they'd need to discover. So, so human beings mm-hmm. sort of had to discover this. You know, we, we have been trying to like, you know, I argue in a, I wrote an essay for a publication called the Bitcoin times, which we'll talk about later, but I, I wrote, it's called um, fire Bitcoin teleportation. And it kind of looked at the, the anthropological history of humanity. Um, and I made an argument for that, uh, anthropological history, particularly as we evolve into social species, being one in which um, the complexity of civilization is a function of the discovery of better and better money, mm. because money is the technology that enables cooperation. So, anyway, as part of that sort of discovery process, uh, you know, we we used everything: seashells, this, that, glass beads, blah blah. And, you know, we sort of all seem to converge on gold, not just because, but because it's got better properties um, mm-hmm. to be used as money. But, you know, we've kind of entered the 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 age of, uh, you know, the industrial age and particularly now the digital age where, you know, gold just can't fulfill that uh, promise anymore. So, you know, we had to go through fiat, um, you know, and we've had to go through uh, plastic credit cards and digital fiat. Um, and, you know, along the way, we've, we've basically distorted uh, – the fundamental nature of human civilization, right? Because you have one set of monkeys who can just produce uh, money, which is like that that precious technology that is measuring uh, everyone's action and behavior and everything. They can just conjure it up out of thin air, while mm-hmm. the rest of us actually have to expend time and energy to to you know to earn it. So that's completely distorted civilization. So so Bitcoin comes around. Um, you know, after many attempts at creating a non-state money, um, and it is bootstrapped in such a way, you know, with an anonymous founder, with you know, uh, Silk Road was very important, like all that early stuff that happened, the two pizzas for ten thousand Bitcoin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You had this sort of organic emergence, and then the disappearance of the founder, like all this sort of stuff happened, and you had this bootstrapping of a network, which by two thousand eleven, by two thousand and twelve, was effectively its own thing, like it. It didn't have a leader anymore. You know, the the head of the snake disappeared, so it couldn't be cut off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started to ossify. So, you, so you have uh, this situation where, you know, you've got this money which um, people are starting to come to terms with, and it's already had an incredible appreciation from you know a fraction of a fraction of a cent from the two pizzas for ten thousand Bitcoin to mm-hmm. now in the you know, two, three digits um, in terms of value, particularly, you know, during the Silk Road sort of bull run. Um, and, you know, you, you get these people that come in and they're like, um, they want to change Bitcoin. They want to adapt it. They, they don't get that the point of Bitcoin is that nobody can change it. Nobody can adapt it. Mm-hmm. It's independent of a, of a management team. Um, so instead of, you know, when, when they realize they can't do that, they go off and create their own coin. Um, so they mm-hmm. take some of the technical architecture, um, give it a different name, and then under the same sort of banner of uh, you know non-state money or whatever, they roll their own shitcoin. And you know, I, I don't know if the first attempts were genuinely like malicious, um, but, you know, but at some point, you know, people caught onto this, and the, the you know Ethereum is the classic example of you know a group of people who couldn't change Bitcoin, who instead got together and basically created their own money out of thin air. They pre-mined it. They gave themselves, you know, incredible, you know, amounts of seniorage. Um, and they set up a management team for the money, no different to the Federal Reserve or the ECB or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they rolled it out under the banner of uh, it's like Bitcoin, but it does something else. And that something else changes every six months, depending on whatever, you know, narrative they want to sort of push or whatever narrative is marketable at that particular mm-hmm. point in time. So anyway, you know, they sort of 
you know, Ethereum was like the first ICO, quote unquote, and it was extraordinarily financially successful. Um, and then basically everyone else has caught on to the same thing. Um, and, you know, you've had the kind of the likes of Andreessen Horowitz and all these large scale VCs who've kind of figured this out. They're like, shit, we used to have to invest in real businesses and take on real risk and invest in real entrepreneurs. Now all we need to do is literally print money out of thin air by launching a token, mm-hmm. throwing a little bit of marketing dollars at it, slapping our name behind it, which has some credibility because, you know, if Andreessen Horowitz is behind it, then it must be successful. Um, and then they basically print money out of thin air. They don't have to produce anything. Yeah. They don't have to offer a product, none of that stuff. So you've had this sort of, you know, in an age of uh, easy money where money is like being printed by the Federal Reserve, you've had this whole like cohort of people who are using the essentially the Bitcoin narrative and elements of the the technical architecture of Bitcoin to effectively do what the Federal Reserve has had a monopoly on is like print their own money. Um, and everyone's trying to get in on it. You know, people mm-hmm. are, everyone tries, trying, trying to print money out of thin air. And this is where, um, you know, in some ways I, you know, I question whether being a Bitcoin maximalist is, uh, is the most intelligent position on the planet or the dumbest because like, you know, <laughs> I have foregone, foregone millions of dollars, countless mm-hmm. amounts of money. Like, you know, I've been offered all sorts of things for like helping advise shitcoin projects and this and that. But, you know, for me, there's a there's a place for integrity and, you know, like it's hard to put a price on integrity. And, you know, I've, I've managed to avoid it because I know at some point, you know, all of these things are susceptible to just the natural entropy of uh, a organization or institution or a foundation that is printing money. Like, I'll tell you what, like the Federal Reserve is going to collapse. The ECB is going to collapse. You know, all these things are going to collapse because they just, they, they are incongruent with nature um, mm. and natural law. And so are all the crypto and shitcoin projects. Um, and they're going to go the same way. And, you know, the thing is they'll collapse much faster than the US dollar, et cetera, because um, they don't have a military behind them or, you know, all of the infrastructure that sort of backs the US dollar. So, Anyway, you know, the, the recent events have been a perfect example of that. So anyway, that, that would be my first principles answer to that. Now, you, you mentioned a couple of things that uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to touch on here. See your thoughts. If if you know, so we talked about how how governments uh, have been uh, for couple hundred years, slowly inching closer and closer to full control and uh, corrupting uh, the money. Hypothetically speaking, if governments had been uh, and central banks had been uh, uh, perfectly above board and had never expanded the money supply and it was like, hey, we recognize for velocity of money and for globalization and global transfer and trade, we need money that uh, moves faster than transporting physical gold. So let's use uh, settlement. Yet let's use third-party storage of gold, and we'll use paper as the medium for that. But we're, we're not going to engage in fractional reserve banking. The money supply never expands. It's 100% backed by gold. Do you think, even if it wasn't backed by gold, let's just say the paper supply of money never changed uh, mm-hmm. and go that far? Do you think Bitcoin, and then to, and then after that, crypto? Anything like that would have ever ever emerged if governments and central banks had been responsible with the with the um, with that burden of 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 our money. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, may, maybe not. You know, may, maybe there wouldn't have been a problem for Bitcoin to solve. Um, you know, the 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 whole problem that Bitcoin solves is that because that temptation is there, and because uh, human beings and the institutions that they uh, make up uh, are inherently um, able to be corrupted, you know, Bitcoin just sort of removes the lever um, so that so that it, that it can't happen. But you know, in a hypothetical world where you know that wasn't a risk, and you know you had uh, you know real leaders and you know people who you know had that like I don't know if there was like a moral gene inside human beings such that you know they mm-hmm. didn't do that, you know, maybe there wouldn't have been that kind of a problem to solve. And and, and it's interesting because it. it it got tried with um, with uh, Swiss banking. So Swiss banking was originally like a um, it was a non fractional reserve private banking network hmm. developed by a guy called um, the what's his name um, Felix Sommery, um, who he was called the Raven of Zurich, 
and he he predicted a lot of the crap um, that has happened uh, with you know the advent of central banking and money printing and all that sort of stuff. Um, it was actually contrary to to the original premise of Swiss banking. Um, and you know it, it was kind of an attempt to do that. It was kind of like a pre-Bitcoin pre-digital. How can I say pre-modern analog version of Bitcoin? You know, was the mm. sort of the original incarnation of uh, Swiss banking. And there's um in in the Austrian edition of the Bitcoin Times that I'm releasing uh, next week. Um, there's an essay in there by a guy called Rahim Tagizadegan, who's a he's an Austrian economist. He's actually it's it's funny. He's the last Austrian who's a Austrian economist. Uh, teaching in the traditional Austrian tradition in Austria. <laughs> um, oh, really? Because there's no more. Um, and he was yeah, actually yeah. a student of Hopper directly. Um, mm. And he wrote he wrote an essay in this um, in this publication for me. And he mentions it in there is because uh, Felix Sommery was a student of Karl Menger, and Karl Menger is you know one of the one of the fathers of Austrian economics. Mm-hmm. And Karl's uh, advice to Felix um, was to to not. Um, get into academia to go and actually do something useful with his life. And, you know, he was the, he was the founder of basically uh, Swiss banking. So, so potentially that could have been the case, as you said, but, um, you know, alas, uh, it wasn't. And we all know what happened from sort of 1971 onwards. And, and here we mm-hmm. are. So uh, in, in regards to that, it seems like uh, they sowed the seeds of their own destruction and made the emergence of something like Bitcoin inevitable because what they were doing goes contrary to nature. I mean, just mm-hmm. uh, something like deflation is the natural cause of wealth growth over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So when you create a monetary system uh, that uh, makes everything reliant on inflation, you're sowing the seeds for your own destruction because it's contrary to nature. And so well, like something a- like, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it's like a it's the react Bitcoin is the reaction in a complex system to mm. all of the poking and prodding that has occurred by the state and central banks. So, in in regards then to the emergence of the entire fraudulent uh, crypto ecosystem that we saw emerge over the last few years, um, to me, what this seems like is. Maybe not the last dying breath of of the current uh, of the current fraudulent uh, central banking system and easy money, but it seems like uh, something that is logical that would emerge alongside Bitcoin to have something come up where you have people who have been raised and trained by this recent. Uh, uh, um, uh, tradition of easy money, central banking, fractional reserve banking, basically fraud, and um, see Bitcoin as, uh, as as a threat to the system as more as it attracts more and more people who want uh, to interest their their own self interest rather the interest of the machine, and so to come alongside that and try and hijack it and try and confuse people and say hey. Here's something that's like Bitcoin, but even better. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and that the easy money system created by central banks uh, fueled that in a way, almost like, hey, this is our big last uh, weapon that we can try and throw at this. Um, wh- what are your thoughts about that? My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. 
Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT AT&T who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That. Yeah, I mean, we... uh... I had a thought as you were speaking. It was like we're, we're in the golden age of scamming. Um, I think that I, I don't think there's ever been a time of uh, greater scams. Like, and it, it's it's everything. Like from you know the medical hysteria to you know the the kind of mindless like uh, media like and kind of like the the blatant gaslighting from everyone to the liver kings of the world to the SBFs <laughs> of the world. Like. Everywhere yeah. you look, it's a scam. Like mm. everyone is trying to scam everyone for something. Like it's, I, I've, you know, it's like grift central uh, in modern civilization. So, I mean, you know, like the, if you could like scam relatively anonymously um, by writing a couple lines of crappy code, um, you know, the, the temptation's too real. I mean, and, and I'll say this, like, even I've thought about it. Even I have thought like, man, you know, why don't I just roll a shit coin? Mm-hmm. I'll promote it, make a couple million dollars, maybe 10, 20, $30 million exit scam. And I'm out of here. Yeah. I have to work ever again. Like it, it is very tempting. Um, but you know, it sort of takes a, a level of fortitude. And we t- talked about this basically before, um, before the call, it's like, you know, I've been on a history binge and particularly like reading about the, um, the, the warrior culture of the samurai, uh, in, in medieval Japan. And I've been doing a lot of reading on kind of the ancient Macedonians of Alexander's time, um, and the Romans and the kind of, um, you know, nobility and honor and virtue, um, and sort of morality embedded in the, in the ethical codes of those times, you know, forbade, uh, warriors to, um, to behave in, you know, immoral ways. And, you know, like, like the, the, the kind of character that that sort of bred was very different to the kind of modern loser that you see kind of walking around today. It's like, you know, in, in 
the modern age, it's like, you know, those kind of virtues, like, you know, they, they just don't exist anymore. Like, um, and I don't yeah. know, like, you know, I even have a problem with like some of the libertarian positions these days, like, you know, the whole individual, 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 like, and I'm an individualist first and foremost, but there's just something almost empty and missing about that. You know, like the, the ancients had a camaraderie, right? Like the, the, there's an anecdote with the Spartans, you know, at Thermopylae on the day before they, they, they knew they were going to die. There was only a few of them left. Um, and, they asked Dainikis, um, who was one of the, the generals, uh, to sort of give them some kind words. And he said, you know, or, or to like inspiring words. And he said, look, don't fight for lofty ideals such as freedom or, you know, glory or the greatness of, you know, uh, the Hellenic world, nor even for property or for family. Um, fight only for the man that's by your side. For mm. he is everything and everything is in him. You know, the sort of the quote is something like that. And, you know, that kind of like even saying it brings some chills down my spine is like that kind of level of honor, like the, do, to do the right thing in spite of death or in spite of damage and everything like that. That kind of stuff has been lost in the modern world. So it's no wonder that, you know, when the opportunity to scam and to have something for nothing arises, basically everyone runs for that. Um, mm -hmm. And the, the problem is like over time, you know, when you see that people like that with no morals, with no virtue, with no integrity, you know, with none of those attributes, when they're the ones succeeding and making money and living it up on a yacht and, you know, like getting tables at the bars and all that sort of stuff, you start to ask yourself like, Fuck, what am I doing? Like, you know, wh why am mm -hmm. I trying so hard to be moral, to be good, you know, when I just roll a shit coin, you know, and do whatever. Like, and, mm. and it starts to really decay civilization. And, and I honestly think like we're in the dark ages. Um, I, I think you know the only place that we've excelled in modern in the modern age is like technologically speaking, <laughs> like morally, intellectually, emotionally, physically, uh, you know, all psychologically, all these areas we've we've regressed big time. Like everyone's fat, obese, dumb, lazy you know, narcissistic, like all, all the things that you, know, you can sort of like point out in terms of like uh, virtue other than material sort of stuff is like is down. And, and, and I think, you know, th this, if you go upstream and try and think about, you know, what's happened here is that, you know, the, the incentives have been messed up um, because we, we we're rewarding the wrong thing. So anyway, I don't know if that answers your question or if I've gone on a bit of a tangent there, but well, it, it does. Uh, it does. And it leads into the, the next, uh, um, the next thing I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, which is uh, rules versus rulers. Because in the United States, we have this nation that was founded on rule of law, constitution. Hey, nobody can change this. Uh, so it doesn't matter who's in power. It really doesn't because the only thing the law is there for is to protect rights. And so just because somebody else you don't like gets in power, the only thing they can do is protect your rights. So it really doesn't, it really doesn't matter that much. Um, and slowly over time, that's morphed into rule of man and a system where it does matter who's in charge because you have rule of man and whoever's in charge gets to, gets to uh, make, make up their own rules. And what that's led to is a system where when rulers want to for self self-interest uh, immorally, they want to engage in behaviors and practices that are immoral, whether that's, whether that's theft or whether that's, you know, uh, corrupt, whatever it is, um, they end up having to justify it somehow. And when the rulers of a system over time justify their own immorality more and more and more, they shape the system to benefit from immorality more and more and more. Um, ultimately, I think sowing the seeds of its own destruction, but that's mm -hmm. why money, in my opinion, is the foundation of that. Because if you have a money that is built on rules, whether it's the laws of physics like gold or um, whether it's the, the laws built into the uh, open source software like Bitcoin um, and everybody can trial their own. And when they all fail, you'll come back to come back to Bitcoin. It's built on rules. It's not built on rulers like uh, like a central bank. And so you can't have somebody come in and corrupt the system, uh, building a new system, incentivizing corruption on top of it. T totally, totally. I mean, you know, the, the, the U.S. is a very interesting experiment because, um, 
you know, it, it's it's an attempt. It, it was one of the first attempts to, uh, on paper, codify these rules. I mean, you know, you had the Magna Carta sort of before that. Um, you know, the the sort of the the periods like the um, the Tokugawa shogunate in um, in Japan uh, in you know sort of between I think that was like the sixteen to the eighteen hundreds. Um, you know, they, it, it was less, you know, written, but more, it was like this, uh, you know, as I said, the Bushido was like a moral code, you know, it was an expectation of the warrior class. Um, you know, the, they're all interesting experiments in trying to, yeah, effectively have rules um, and not just uh, rulers, although it's, it's a, it's a tricky thing. It's something I've been trying to give more thought to recently is, um, you know, you rulers inevitably arise. Um, but you know, like, I don't know where I'm going with this. Like, it's sort of like the, I'm, I'm trying to think of the differentiation between like a ruler and a leader. Um, because sort of, you know, you had these ancient rulers, for example, I'll use Alexander the Great um, once mm-hmm. again. He, he, he fucking led from the front. Um, you know, there's, there's a great anecdote of his uh, where, I mean, th- they, were, they were traveling through the desert. And a week before that, he had gotten a fucking arrow through the lung um, because he was the first over the, um, the wall. <laughs> Um, at a at a siege that they were performing, so he was the fucking first over the wall. The king um, gets an arrow in the lung, barely lives. They pull it out, no anesthetic, none of that sort of stuff, um, and then they have to march f- across the damn desert um, to to get to uh, the port so they can leave. Um, and on that march, you know he's almost dying, and you know all, it's like a massive hardship, and um, you know, and they're all dying of thirst and all that sort of stuff, and. The a couple soldiers they actually found a um, they found some water and they went they filled up a helmet um, you know and they took it back to him and like they, they had to like protect the damn helmet of the water so that nobody would grab it and when they brought it to him um, he grabbed it and he spilled the water out in front of the whole army so he would not drink the water so so th- so that kind mm. of leadership is completely gone today. So, you know, yeah. that kind of rulership and leadership is is very different to the kind of rulers that, you know, we, we sort of think about today. Like, you know, Joe Biden, Trump, like n- none of these people, none of them would ever do anything like that ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking more deeply, like the, the beauty of Bitcoin is that, you know, you, you have rules, which you, you mentioned you know, gold's rules are sort of embedded in physics. Bitcoin's rules are also embedded in physics. Uh, you know, and you know, it it sort of it's a, it's a solution to the stage we're at in civilization where we don't have to wait for another Alexander the Great or Jesus Christ to come up um, in order to inspire people to behave in the right way. It's like we've actually solved it in a technological way and kind of placed the money outside of everyone's hands and now you know we we have a money with rules and now um we can we can actually play a fair game so so now kind of i'm I'm grappling with the rulers thing because at some point rulers will come up again but uh they their their capacity to uh to devolve into you know tyrannical you know children uh, will be inhibited, I think, by the existence of something like Bitcoin. I, uh, it's I, I could be wrong about this. I think the um, the distinction comes down to the foundation versus the building. So um, when you look at when you look at the rules that are at the th- those are the foundations of of the society. And so um, when you have when you have the ability for somebody to come in and change the rules, you're shifting the foundation, and no no building, no structure can survive on a shifting foundation. Um, and, and so the rules being having no ability to be changed uh, mean that you can build any sort of dynamic structure 
on top of the foundation, um, much stronger, larger, more useful, whatever. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so in, in my opinion, the difference between like the ruler versus the leader, the ruler would be the one that can change a foundation. The leader is the one that can uh, influence the strength of the structure built on top mm -hmm, of the foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that's kind of the way that I look at it. I, I want to make a note, though. It's very interesting what you said about the about Alexander the Great uh, being the one to get the arrow through his heart when he made it over the wall. Um, I don't know if he was the origin of this, um, but uh, in, uh, in, in right around Jesus's time. So in the, in the Bible, Paul is writing, uh, writing books in the Bible. And there was, uh, there was a, uh, a cultural um, uh, honor that was awarded to soldiers called the wall king. And when they were uh, laying siege to a city, the first person, first soldier to make it over the wall um, and live was crowned the wall king. It was like a huge honor. Mm -hmm. um, and because uh, normally if you make it over the wall first, you're not going to you're not going to survive. And so it's very rare for somebody to win win that award, kind of like a purple mm -hmm. heart type of thing of being the being the wall king. So I wonder if that is I wonder if he's the origin of that. I, I would I would love to. He, he, may, he may be. He may be. A, there was a. There's a number of things that you know. He was the the sort of the the fountainhead of, and you know, that, yeah. that genuinely could be one. So, all right. Now that we've kind of gone through the philosophical and the moral history of kind of where we got to where we are today, um, right now we are seeing a collapse uh, of of this fraud, which is, you know, ultimately what happens. Mm -hmm. um, you have, have it go on as long as possible. And to the extent that you control uh, regulations uh, kind of dictates how long these, these schemes can go, go on. So, you know, central banking will be the last, <laughs> the last mm -hmm. fraudulent scheme to topple. Um, but uh, it, it uh, right now we're seeing, uh, you know, the collapse of FTX, the collapse, collapse of BlockFi and uh, many others are going to start coming after this. Lots of people right now are talking about DeFi and saying, hey, this is the solution. This is this is safe. And uh, ma many people, uh, including you and I, many people smarter than us are saying, no, 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 no. That's that's all that's all part of the same thing. Um, so can you describe the difference between um, DeFi, which looks like it's still standing. And this podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season remind us to embrace change and fearlessly look toward the future. Like Andrew Jarecki, award-winning filmmaker and creator of Movie Phone. The studios didn't really control the theaters. The theaters didn't control the studios. And I thought, well, there's a window in here where I could make things easier for the consumer and also make something that would be very useful for the industry. Or Kellen Kenny, Chief Marketing and Growth Officer at AT&T, who installed fiber in customers' houses rather than leading from afar. It is so crucial that you spend time with the customers. That is the best lesson. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone, there was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. 
Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, the... So CFI, as they sort of call the the, the block fires and the Celsius and everything of the world, is effectively, you know, entities, companies that um that are offering yield or whatever products and services by you know storing your capital for you, um, and then yeah, it's not your keys, not your coins, as we've all heard. You know, they can do whatever they want with it. Um, I mean, they, they can't do whatever they want with it, but. Uh, like they can, if you get what mm-hmm. I mean. Like they can't, but they can. Um, They're which not supposed is to, but if they want yeah. to, they could. Yeah, which is what happened with FTX. Now, the whole DeFi space is is it's an anathema. So it's kind of like the it's the same thing, um, in the sense that like, you know, Uniswap paused their services, which is supposed to be a um, a decentralized DeFi you know trading platform, right? Mm. Um, you know the. Uh, what was it? Do Kwan's thing was supposed to be a DeFi application, right? It was a it was mm. a decentralized version of a thing. So, all of these things, um, uh, like they they use the word DeFi um, in the same way as crypto uses the word uh, Bitcoin to try and masquerade as something that is unchangeable um, or you know incorruptible or immutable is the word that generally gets thrown around. The problem is they're not like Bitcoin is immutable because for uh, almost 15 years now, there's been an increase in the the sort of the hash rate, um, the the amount of miners, the amount of nodes. Um, so to quote Bitcoin Times again, there's a fantastic piece in there by a guy called Michael Goldstein, who's one of the genuine fountainheads of uh, of Bitcoin. He's the guy who got Seyfedina Moose into Bitcoin and all this sort of stuff. These kids are fucking mm. genius. And he, he wrote a piece called Toward a Node World Order, which is an idea that, you know, as uh, why Bitcoin solves the problems that uh, gold failed to solve and that fiat uh, created uh, in trying to solve gold's problems, right? And, you know, he talks about the importance of running a node and how that is effectively the, the solution. And you, you've sort of got that with Bitcoin is that, you know, every node keeps a copy of the Bitcoin blockchain. And every node is effectively Bitcoin. Like when I run a node and I have it at my place, I am running Bitcoin. Um, and mm-hmm. if you are running a node, we form a network because we're running the same damn thing with the same consensus, uh, with the same rules and we're in consensus. That's what actually makes the Bitcoin network special. And all these DeFi projects, they don't have, you know, no one's running a node you know, mm-hmm. no one's like, there is no network that is in sync or any of that sort of stuff that exists. Like Ethereum, for example, is um, is not only is it sort of run by a foundation, um, but, you know, there's like, I think the last time I checked, there's like there's four nodes running and they're all yeah. on Infura, which is like a company that is owned by Consensus, which is the, you know, a branch of the Ethereum foundation. Um, and it's kind of like cloud-based because the Ethereum network is too bloated for any individual to run a node. So, so you've sort of, you've got this sort of ass backwards attempt at creating decentralization, which doesn't work because of the, uh, the engineering trade-offs in the beginning, but plus the very ethos that their foundation is built upon. Um, so, you know, all this sort of DeFi stuff stemming out of that is just companies, no different to FTX or Binance or BlockFi or Celsius, 
masquerading as a protocol mm. that talks to the Ethereum network or Solana or whatever other bullshit network there is, um, but that can be paused and stopped and changed. And the same fucking thing happens there. And, um, you know, like it's, it's jumping from the fry pan into the fire. That's, that's all it is. Like, so, so for me, DeFi is, it's not DeFi, it's CeFi. Um, and you know, the, the person who I think, uh, wrote a brilliant piece about this was, uh, Alan Farrington. Um, he, hmm. he wrote, uh, uh, a long ass essay called only the strong survive. Um, and he dismantled the notion of DeFi. This was almost a year ago now when he wrote that it was a, it was a fantastic essay. Um, I'll, I'll send you the link after the call so you can add it into the show notes. But, mm. you know, if people, okay. you know, want a sort of a more elaborate, uh, technical explanation, Alan Farrington, you know, used to be, um, at, uh, I forgot the firm, but they're, they're, they're one of the top 10, I think, uh, private equity firms in the world. They've got like something like four and a half trillion under management. And he was, you know, in there trying to orange pill them basically brilliant, brilliant guy, super, super, super sharp. And yeah, he, he wrote owner of the strong survive and he basically tore apart, um, this sort of DeFi crap. Um, and you know, basically everything he said in there has come true more or less and anything that hasn't come true yet is will come true in the in the coming years. And, and this extends even to uh, applications that are not trying to pose as decentralized money. This this applies to other things like companies trying to use blockchain as an application for uh, technology that already exists. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and 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 we're about to see that come down too. Like there's a there's a, a website, it's a uh, video, uh, they're trying to compete with YouTube, uh, but they did it with a, a blockchain. I think it's LBRY or Odyssey, and they're getting shut down by the uh, by the SEC because uh, they're now labeled it's a security. They were issuing mm-hmm. a, an unregistered mm-hmm. security. So this this extends even beyond just money competitors. This extends to like technological applications as well, right? Totally, totally. The whole blockchain thing is a is a is a great stupidity, actually. You know, the where I where this first dawned on me was, um, you know, funny story was when I was first sort of getting into Bitcoin. You know, I fell down the crypto rabbit hole and the blockchain rabbit hole, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And um, and you know, I call it my days of climbing Mount Stupid. Um, mm. and I didn't spend too much time up there, you know, because I quickly found out that this was stupid. And basically, I was I was running a little uh, a kind of like a consultancy business called the Blockchain Training Institute. And as I was putting together the courses for it, so first I would go in and consult to, to businesses and government and this and that, and then I started putting courses together. And I, I was explaining. I remember, and I vividly remember this. I put together a course for open blockchains. You know, Bitcoin was supposed to be under that banner, um, and then I was creating this one for private blockchains. And I came to the realization: I was like, a private blockchain is just the fucking uh, database shared by a couple entities that are all in cahoots already. So it's like yeah. it defeats the goddamn purpose <laughs> of having a blockchain. Like all you're doing is you're getting the worst of both worlds, which is mm-hmm. you, you have a coordinator and you've just made your system slower. Like right. congratulations, you're an idiot. So, you know, as I like as I was writing the course content out for this, I was like, this is fucking dumb. So like mm-hmm. and then the more I dug into it, the more I realized that the whole blockchain idea, like blockchain like I did a whole talk about this and this is actually what kicked off the Bitcoin times for me was I got invited to do a talk and my talks on YouTube still, it's called blockchain is dead. The future is on lightning. And it was, it it inspired me to write the first copy uh, of the Bitcoin times where I explain why blockchain is such a stupidity. Um, And there's a, there's sort of like a graph in there, which is um, if you uh, have a coordinator of any sort, um, there's no need to create multiple redundancies of your database because all you're going to do mm-hmm. is slow it down. So, so that's kind of out the window. Then um, if uh, what sort of the second thing was um, if you, if you do need a, Oh man, it's been years since I wrote this, but, but basically the, the, the premise was that the thing that gives Bitcoin security is not some magical technology called the blockchain, mm-hmm. whatever the hell that is. The thing that makes Bitcoin secure is the economic momentum behind Bitcoin mm-hmm. in the form of mining and holders 
and people running their own nodes, etc. It's this sort of, it's, a, it's an economic thing. So to reverse a Bitcoin transaction, you need to put money at stake. You need to put capital, economic capital at stake. And you need to continuously do that because there is continuous motion mm-hmm. in Bitcoin. Like it is kind of like a dam. It's kind of like a river that's pushing forward. Um, and you don't get that uh, with um, with blockchain because most of what people are trying to do with blockchain is uh, remove the the economic thing, which is the the currency piece. So you kind mm-hmm. of eliminate the need for it. And then if you're trying to do it with, um, you know, like what Ethereum or these other cryptos are doing, uh, like Lib LBRY, and I think you know whatever they're called, um, you're creating like the the token element. Uh, is effectively an economic entity of its own. It it becomes a money mm-hmm. that then must compete with the US dollar and Bitcoin and all these sorts of things. And what are you trying to do? Run a business or run an economy? You can't mm-hmm. do both. It becomes very fucking difficult. Like Bitcoin is succeeding because it's the 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 scope of operation is so narrow that it's just mm-hmm. money. And the goal is separate money from state. There's nothing else. There's none of this sort of fancy shit all going on there. Whereas LBRY has to run a business, uh, try and figure out if by trying to distribute all of the data that you know they're going to make themselves less efficient and add on top of that, they have to operate a fucking economy um, and actually mm-hmm. be a central bank and compete with the liquidity and economic mass of Bitcoin, the US dollar and everything fucking else that's out there. It's not going to yeah. win. It's going to fail. Yeah. So, so this is sort of like where blockchain is just the – I don't know, it's a massive stupidity and, you know, sort of outside of the context of Bitcoin, you know, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. If you're, if you're creating something that ends up in practice being money, you're competing with all other forms of money because money is a winner take all game. The idea that many people have put forward that we're going to have many cryptocurrencies all 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 living harmoniously among each other and being used for different applications is preposterous. Many, money is a winner-take-all game because economies will naturally uh, move towards the one money that solves the most problems the best. Um, and at the foundation of that is probably coincidence of wants, which then eradicates any competition of money. You always land mm-hmm. at one. Um so, so that makes perfect sense. And then to try and apply it towards a technological application, it's like either the uh, um, you're gonna sl- you're gonna slow it down, make it more inefficient, which raises the cost, and you're not actually you're not actually solving any real world problems any more than the 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 alternative. Like people say, okay, NFTs are gonna be your you know tickets to get in and out, and it's like because you can sell them and buy and sell them with each other. It's like, have you ever heard of Ticketmaster and StubHub? It's like, mm-hmm. that's literally what they do and you don't need an NFT for it. And so it's free. But if you mm-hmm. try and use an NFT to do that, it makes it so inefficient that the cost just skyrockets because um, you're mingling two uh, foundational functions that don't that don't go together. It's like a Frankenstein. Yeah, it's, they're, they're a bunch of Rube Goldberg machines. And, and, and I remember that in my um, in my in the Bitcoin Times edition one is like where I talk about like, you you know you you have the private blockchain which is ridiculous. Then you have the I, there was a second option, and then then the third option was basically the Rube Goldberg machine, which is you know what you just mentioned. It's like this thing that you create just to create it, um, and in the end, it's stupid. Like it it, mm. it actually is slower, more expensive, you know, more cumbersome, and, and all the things that you don't want from an innovation. It's kind of like building a. <laughs> Building an airplane by attaching like balloons to a fucking couch, you know? Yeah. It's like a build a yeah. flying machine. Congratulations. Right. All right. So for uh, anybody who was previously convinced about crypto has now lost all their money that they had on FTX's exchanges and is now burned from the space and thinks Bitcoin is also going down. But now they're thinking, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe Bitcoin is going to be the way to go. What is the best place for people to learn more about the basics of Bitcoin um, uh, moving forward? Yeah, I mean, there's there's heaps of resources. Um, you know, I've, I've been writing for a number of years. So if people have felt like they got some insights out of this, they can check out my medium. But um, the publication that I've put together called the Bitcoin Times um, 
they can find it at bitcointimes.io io sorry um and yeah there's there's a there's a whole series of essays on there um i'm actually taking all of the essays and packaging them up into this really nicely designed uh magazine which people can purchase for bitcoin um and at the moment edition three and four are available i'm getting one and two redesigned and edition five is about to drop which is the austrian edition and each one has a theme it kind of looks at bitcoin through a particular lens um and tries Mm. to understand bitcoin so the recent one the austrian edition looks at bitcoin through an austrian lens and at austrian economics through a bitcoin lens uh last year's one which was really good um you can also get a free copy i think by popping your email in um uh, is, you know, had some stuff in there about mining, had my one, the fire Bitcoin teleportation about kind of like how, uh, how anthropologically and civilizationally significant something like Bitcoin actually is in, in the grand scheme of things. There was a piece, uh, by Alan Farrington called the separation of money and state. And in there, he talks about this idea of like toxic bigness, which is effectively what, um, fiat money has has created in the world is like it's it's created all these um you know things that we look at that are bad like the you know monopolies and you know the the famga on the on the uh on the stock exchange you know facebook amazon you know all that sort Mm -hmm. of stuff is all a downstream function of having you know a a a centralized uh, money issuer and um previous actual edition a really good one in edition three was um Parker Lewis, who's the one of the founders at um, Unchained Capital, he wrote a piece called "The Great Definancialization," mm. which is a bit of a play on words there, which I think is very relevant to this conversation, where he basically takes apart the idea of, you know, in the future we'll actually have less financialization mm-hmm. than we have today because Bitcoin will simplify. Uh, mm-hmm. money markets it'll simplify commerce it'll 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 do away with all of the crap that we sort of have in the way um and you know that's that's the proper way to think about DeFi is like the definancialization um and there's a piece in there from jeff booth which is fantastic as well called the greatest game which talks about like how bitcoin is playing the greatest game of all um and you know jeff booth is a brilliant author brilliant mm-hmm. thinker so anyway, I'd, I'd recommend people to go check that out. Um, you know, the essays are available for free, and then they can pick up a copy if they if they'd like to support the work. But you know, that's where I'd go if I was them. And you know, at the end of the day, like the whole game here is that this is going to take decades to occur. Like Bitcoin will like because it's always going to be there. It's not going to change. The rules are the same. As time passes, more and more people will just start to allocate a portion of their wealth into this mm-hmm. thing that is unchangeable um and as more time passes more people will trust that it, it'll become easy to use um easy to acquire and all that sort of stuff and that's just going to keep building its economic base and its economic mass and you know we're lucky enough to be talking about this 13 14 years in like mm-hmm. you know in 10 20 30 50 years like where this thing is going to be it's going to be completely you know it'll be paradigmatically different. Um, and you know, that's where the upside opportunity is, is like kind of finding a nugget of gold while the whole world was still using salt to trade, right? Is, right. you know, the nugget of gold would have been worthless initially, but it ended up being the, the thing of value. So that's kind of what Bitcoin represents. So, you know, learn, read, uh, see Bitcoin through a better lens um, and acquire some Bitcoin and take it off the damn exchanges and custody it yourself. That's the whole point of this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I highly recommend the Bitcoin times. It is extremely high quality. It's not uh, one of these, you know, little uh, blogs where people are putting out uh, uh, short, low quality information just to continue pumping content out. So I highly recommend it. I will link it below and, um, Thank you so much for uh, joining us. We this is a uh, a tour of history and philosophy and morals and uh, and money and and technology. So it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, my man. Really appreciate our conversations. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk again soon. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Pereira. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.